All right, guys, welcome along to Lifting in Life podcast episode four, which is yet to be titled, which we'll come back to at some point, I'm sure. Um, we have another guest for this episode, um, Chloe. I'll let Cam do a little bit of a, well, I've done the intro, I suppose. We'll let Cam do a bit of a background. Yeah, so Chloe and I, she's my partner. Um, we've been together for close to five years now. and Nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get our arms around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, I'll let her also obviously introduce herself too, but she's an IFBB pro bikini athlete, has been going to the gym since she was in her teens and just yeah, has a lot of experience when it comes to gym fitness, was a personal trainer for a couple of years. I'll probably give away too much if I Yeah. I take it away? So um, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, thank you for really, joining us. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to um, to this. This has obviously been in the pipelines for a little while, so it's awesome to be here. But um, yeah, as Cam mentioned, so I am an IFBB bikini pro and have been since 2017 um, is when I won my pro card, but I've been competing since 2014. So it's been um, quick maths, seven to eight years now, almost eight years. Um, Just say before COVID, I think everyone... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I started, as Cam mentioned, I started training when I was 14. I got into the gym. I've always been heavily into sports, um, but I found the gym um, because my auntie was really into the gym and that sort of called me to it. I really liked the individual, the individual aspect, I guess. I played a lot of team sports, but I really liked the fact that I had quite a lot of control over when I could go, how much effort I was putting in, um, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but a precursor to that was the fact that I struggled with quite a few body dysmorphic issues. So I had um, anorexia, and so I think that's what sort of led me into the gym. Um, but I really found a love and a passion for it. Um, and that went, yeah, so since I was 14. And then I moved to Les Mills when I was about... Remember how, how old I was, but that's when I met my coach, and he was the one that got me into bodybuilding. So, um, I before that, I would say my training and stuff like that, and my relationship with food and training was quite unhealthy. And then once I found my coach and found bodybuilding, it really led to a, a, a learning, I guess, a journey of learning and understanding my body. And um, that's where like the passion sort of grew even more. And I, yeah, got into bodybuilding, I've been doing that and competing for a number of years. Um, and through that journey, really wanted to help others to find that path. Like I could really see that it was something that a lot of young females really suffered with and being someone that had been through it, I really wanted to reach out and help others, which is what drew me to personal training and coaching. And so I got into that when I, and I started and I went back to study in 2016 and yeah, got into PT in 2017 and did that for three years. Um, primarily focusing on females and training young girls really a lot of young females did a bit of bodybuilding coaching as well and um, posing but um, also did a lot of lifestyle based clients and I found a I really really enjoyed the emotional um, element to that and really like the psychology behind um, helping young girls with their mindset with training and nutrition and stuff. So maybe you could dig into I guess what I could imagine would be the most challenging moment for those that have similar issues is mm. when you bridge from when those issues are at their peak to the lifestyle that you've now found, you know, what yeah, really helps time. you traffic into that? Yeah, big time. Um, really good question. So I guess 
for me, because that, I mean, yeah, like, I started with body dysmorphic issues when I was in year six, which is pretty rough to think about. It's a pretty young age. And I was, I, I, I reckon it was definitely a, a genetic background like I definitely have anorexia in my family so I think I was predisposed to having that already but um, there were different different things like social pressures and stuff that really stemmed that and I battled with that for a number of years where it was it was always just constantly about my body and starving myself and going through these motions and I just think about it like a roller coaster and relationships really um, affected that quite largely like I really allowed relationships to make that worse and so I think when I think about that I think it really stems from not understanding myself or having much of a love or respect for myself and so I really put a lot of weight on how other people viewed and perceived me and so when relationships were bad or I was in a negative relationship which happened throughout my life that was when it was at its worst and when I really would like be really punishing myself constantly with restricting food and trying to bring my weight down to try and bring my worth up because to me being really little and lean and skinny skinny was me having a lot of self-worth or being attractive or so that was when it was at its worst and I guess like coming through that it was having to find something that I was doing for myself and I can literally remember the decision of bodybuilding so my coach asked me came up to me and was like, look, I've seen you train. I used to train about three hours a day in the gym. Like I would be in there constantly, sometimes multiple times a day. And I would do every exercise I knew under the sun. And I'd be doing at least like half an hour of cardio before I trained, which all things are like a no, no, no now. But What age are you at this point? uh, I reckon I would have been, I would have been about 20, 20, I think at this point. And I've been doing that for a number of years. Since I was 14, effectively, was that was the way my mentality was so geared. Train more, eat less was effectively the way I was geared. So I was, I was starving myself, but also like absolutely thrashing myself in the gym. And to me, like success was when I left the gym, like, like sore, like broken, not good sore, like just literally could not do anymore. Sure, yeah. And like every single fad, you know, that I'd heard of, I'd be doing. So like I knew Britney Spears had done a thousand ab exercises a day and so she would literally do a thousand crunches a day and so I started incorporating that because you know on top of the three times a day on top of everything else I was doing so can we pull it back so you said your body dysmorphia issues started in about year six Mm. was there something like what makes you know that it started around then like what kind of things were sort of coming into your mind at that time to yeah there was definitely a very distinct um, moment and it was when a friend of mine told me that I was over that I was chubby um, it's like a, they were making fun of you or like just in a, yeah, a comment it was a comment yeah, yeah it was yeah. definitely a comment that I was over like I was chubby or I was fat or I was looking fat it but was it some words of that effect um, and I remember a turning point at that point and this is where I've sort of put pieces together about to me, relationships have always been a large driver between for my for the way that I was. Like I really put a lot of weight on what other people. So including of me. friendships, not including just friendships. partners. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I remember going home and finding every baggy shirt I could possibly find. One of which was this hideous shirt that like a family member had made for me for Christmas. And it was like literally had like, I don't know if you ever knew those like gel 
gel pens that you used to draw on top of like material yes. and stuff yeah, with yeah, them. Yeah. So they were kind of like you'd rub them and they'd have like a texture to them. Yeah. It was like so that. So just to reiterate, this is uh, year eight, not when you were 20. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. We're going back to year six. We're going back to year six. Because so gel pens are still in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we could bring that back. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, going back to, this is going back to year six, sorry. So we were, this was my like, moment where I knew things shifted and mentally for me in terms of like going into body dysmorphia more heavily and like actually developing an eating disorder um and I started I even like would go through my brothers so I have two older brothers I would go through their drawers and find all their baggy shirts and they had this like Charlotte Hornets is that right? I that's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, team. Yeah. yeah, so they had those shirts, and I remember wearing those to school. And then I would like my friends would be telling me that I had these like ugly shirts on, you know, and they're like, "Why are you wearing these like hideous shirts?" And I remember being like, "Oh, it's because I'm like fat." And then then all of a sudden it was changed. Like they really didn't, you know, they were like, "Oh, you're definitely not." But like that was where I reckon the switch happened. Where like I didn't believe anything anyone else told me because they just told me that I was. And then I was wearing these shirts and they're trying to obviously be like, well, you're not, don't be silly. But So were these the same people that had made the comments? Same people, yeah, yeah, very much, yeah. Which would have been, you know, for any age, but particularly at such a vulnerable age, must have been wildly confusing. Yeah, very much. So it was like a really interesting, interesting time. And it's probably something that was literally just throwaway comment or like it was absolutely nothing, but it's really interesting when you reflect back on that and just see how significant something can be. For someone and you think you already had worries like that maybe oh maybe i am a little bit chubby or whatever definitely, and then you and hear the comment and it kind of flicks a switch and cements it for you yeah and i can go back even further and think of different comments that were made by family members and stuff like that um around like eating behaviors and stuff so like it like i think back to when i was really young because nana owned a cafe so we had and it was like a truck like a food stop so we had co- like always unlimited food you know yeah, whatever we wanted and, and really good and food too. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I just always remember never caring you know like and always just like would have whatever I felt like at the time then I would be like yeah sure and I'd have that like and it would be pies or whatever and um I remember yeah different comments being made by different family members and stuff um which may again have been throwaway comments but they manifest in your head. And so then when other comments get made, they all of a sudden, and there's no way that I was an overweight child (laughs) as such when I reflect back on it now. But like, it's just, I think as well, like I say, I definitely believe, uh, well, eating disorder is a mental illness. So I definitely believe there can be genetic predispositions to having those issues. And I know definitely that it has ran in my family in the past. So I think um, it was a switch that could have been turned on if I let, like if things manifested in that way and I think that's what's happened it's what like happened. epigenetics yeah very much your environment turns on the, the yeah. genetic switch and I think that's exactly what happened was that like the switch was turned on for me in, in a couple of really key moments that I can think in my life and I don't think it's necessarily of anyone's fault I think it was just the way it was perceived and absorbed at that time and it was likely to probably happen anyway but it was just a matter of when and at what moment. And I think that's the, the key moment that I can remember in my life two times that definitely um, switched that on for me. And from there, I just, yeah, I just know that like a lot of things, like I was, it was constant, it's like a, a constant thing in your mind that you're just always thinking about is like food and weight. And so like a little thing, like I always 
knew that I did. And honestly, I still sometimes do it. And it's probably just more of a, um, a habit now. But like I would grab my tummy and like roll it back and forward. And depending on how much like body fat was there, I guess, would be like in my head, like oh, how overweight am I right now? Even you when know? you subconsciously, we start eating a cheat meal, you pull your tights up straight away. Yeah, big time. Even yeah. if they're already up as high as if they I'm can. If I'm having a cheat meal, I'll be thinking about what clothes I'm going to wear because I don't like the restrictive feeling. And yeah. even though I'm super comfortable with and my body and my skin. it's chicken and rice from a Turkish place. Yeah, very much. And, and even though, and like being full for yeah. me is like quite an uncomfortable feeling. And even though I am super comfortable in my own body now and I feel fully in control of my weight and all of those things and don't necess- and definitely do not have any of those tendencies, it still sits with me and it's still a scar that I wear. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely know that I still have habits that I will, that I continue. Um, but I don't necessarily shun them. I'm not ashamed of them. I accept them for what they are. And it's sort of a reminder of how far I've come. So I don't necessarily think of them as a negative and I think everything is a pers- perspective at the end of the day. Like how you look at something is how you're going to perceive it. I think like me, and I like we'll go back and we'll talk about that a little bit more because I think there's a lot more depth that you can talk about in that journey. Obviously, it's not just a linear journey, nothing is. Yeah. It's definitely had its ups and downs and trials. But I think um, now coming to this end and reflecting that that's a large part of me that's made me who I am it's made me definitely be able to help a lot of people like I've I know there's been a lot of people that I've helped along my journey and I hope I continue to but it's definitely like it's a part of me and it's something that's made me like the mental strength that I have through certain situations or um, the person I've become or the things that I'll continue to do are definitely that's a contributing factor that I I know um, has helped me achieve those things. So well, it would have contributed to your empathy massively, mm. you know, big time. And um, I mean, you mentioned before perspectives as well, but um, you know, sometimes though, you know, that moment that you that you talked about where like that that sting occurred and it instantly flicked the switch. Mm. You know, that was at such a young age, and you for you to have been able to circumvent the the path you then went on, mm. you would have had to have had all this objective knowledge already existing in your yeah, head you would have had to have so. known that your reaction to it is you know based on certain predispositions you've got certain relationships that go back you know years potentially generations yeah big um, time. that it's that must have been a lot for such a young woman to deal with you yeah know? um very much. young girl even sorry um yeah and i guess when i reflect on it now and that's the, the beauty of hindsight right or like even wisdom i guess as you get older you understand things a little bit differently but reflecting on it now i think about it like how I imagine it as standing in a cyclone or in a tornado where like you don't have any clarity. You can't see the other side. You're not like forethinking like or reflecting. It's kind of like you're just in it and feeling it. You've and got no tools whatsoever. Just, absolutely. And you've got no way of changing that. It's just like it is what it is and it's a tornado inside your mind. And But when you're on the other side, of course, you can reflect and see clearly and like understand like, where you were at at that point and what led to that point but at that time I mean like and people that go and this is the the thing as you say empathy big time because like someone that hasn't gone through an eating disorder does not make any it is very difficult to be empathetic you can be sympathetic for sure but empathetic definitely not because it's something you just couldn't understand like how do you tell your mind that it's wrong or your brain that it's wrong, you know, like... like how you, you're looking at someone who's anorexic and you say, you're obviously skinny. 
You're yeah. not fat. And Why don't you just eat something? Oh, and that's If you can't constant. understand it. Yeah. Absolutely constant. Like, that's what you get, you know? Like you hear constantly. that a lot from people yeah. here, yeah. And, and it's literally like, and of course, like, it's coming from a place of good intention. Like, you know, it's never coming from a place of malice or like, it's always that they're trying to help. And it's difficult for people that don't understand because how do you help? I mean, it's difficult to understand how to help even if you have gone through a mm. eating disorder because you do know how difficult it is to get them to the other side. But it's it's exactly that. It's telling your brain that it's lying. And so like when you look in, imagine looking in a mirror and putting on, let's say 20 kilos, you know, like it's kind of like that. Like it's, it's you looking at yourself and you're not seeing what everyone else is necessarily Hence seeing. You're dysmorphia. seeing a very morphed version of you and, or you're feeling a very morphed version of you, or it's just like, and then when you've got someone that, obviously cares about you but is telling you something and you genuinely believe they're lying you know it's just like no matter what someone said to me it's it was like they either don't understand like if it was like my family it'd be like well they just don't understand they're older they're in a different time like they don't understand the social situation I'm in of what I should be looking like you know at my age or for me what I should they just don't understand or when it was peers or like I would literally, it was almost like a, I felt like it was a malice thing. You know, they wanted me to not look that way because that would make me look nice. And, you know, it's like, it's literally what your mind is telling you. It's like a yeah. very morphed perception of reality it that sounds you're like dealing it, with. It sounds like a filter has been created where like, you know, no matter what the other person sees to try and make you feel better, your, your perception is going to... Um, find a way to weaponize that against yourself so you know you either think they're lying or they don't understand or you know they just simply haven't considered it enough you know yeah. there's all kinds of ways to consider it in such a way where what they're saying is actually a form of villainy yeah you know and very much or inaccurate and and not actually the way the way it is so it's a pretty like it's a difficult thing and um and i think each each type of eating disorder is very difficult uh, very different sorry so like you know like how I dealt with it and with anorexia or uh, it's very very different to someone who might suffer with bulimia or binge eating disorder or it's all very very different although the premise is the same and like the body dysmorphia or where it stems from might be very similar how best to handle that or overcome that is going to be very different and it, because it's a mental illness where it stems from and seeing a psychologist is your best bet because it's understanding where did this come from what caused it what was your like driver that actually like caused so for me I believe it was relationships and like caring so much about what other people thought and thinking very, very little of myself, which stems from wherever that stems from in my life, which has been explored, you know, like different areas of my life that gave me that perception of myself, which led to other people's opinions being of such high value. Made you extra sensitive yeah. to it. Yeah, and then like, and so I think like all of those things and understanding those things at a deeper level definitely helps. So for each person, it's going to be a very different story as to what flicked that switch so to speak for them and then why that switch was flipped for them you know and then it's understanding that and understanding how best to overcome that but I mean I didn't I saw I have seen a psychologist but that was well after the beginning of me healing I guess and going back to what we were talking about before like 
the beginning for me was bodybuilding and it can be a, a, like a real interesting thing to say because bodybuilding can have some really negative connotations around food like people can think it causes more um more of a negative relationship because you are restricting for such a long period of time and then afterwards you're really always thinking about food and counting calories and and you're macros. really attached to how you look too because your body needs Very to much. change every week you need to get leaner or even in off season you need to be putting on muscle yeah big time but for me it was very much the opposite because I was already there but in a very negative mindset so instead I learned how to take well what it in, in fact did was take such a negative element and turn it into something that was constructive and positive and even though I still have that like obsession I guess is the word you'd use to like for my body to look a certain way and my physique to look a certain way it's actually got such a positive spin on it because it's constructive and working towards something but and it's measured as yeah. well you're not you don't think oh I'm getting fat I need to get leaner I won't eat you're thinking, oh, if I want to get leaner, I know that if I adjust my quantities of carbs by this much or I increase my right. cardio, it kind of gave you control over that as and well. That's that's definitely the word. Is like, it's definitely, it's feeling out of control, I guess, is what leads largely to such out of control eating disorder is because you feel like you have no control over all of this. Like you want it to look a certain way that's your driver, but you feel so out of control of it. Like you feel like the body, your body is doing this to you rather than you are doing this to your body and your body's trying to help you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's learning that your body is actually this incredible thing and it's always trying to keep you surviving and thriving in the best way that it can. And so it always reacts to the things that you do to it or allow it to have or, but instead you're villainizing your body when you're going through an eating disorder you feel like it's doing all these things against you and so bodybuilding for me like when I when I yeah so going back to my story I guess like with with Philly my coach he um came out to me and said that I had the mindset for for a bodybuilder like he found me in the gym and was like you definitely have the right mindset and you've got like a good physique but you need to learn to you just yeah you need to adapt it a little bit but have you ever thought about competing? And I was like, oh, but I think my friends would laugh at me. And he was like, well, what kind of friends are those if they laugh at you? And I was like, mm, good point. And was that, was that, that was the first place your mind went when 100%. you made the suggestion? Yeah. yeah, so again, really like that feeds relationship that narrative. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that How was my will this first allow me to point. fit in or stand out? Yeah, big time. Um, and that definitely is not the case. Like my, I have a very supportive group of friends. Um, who have supported me hugely throughout my journey. I just, um, in my head, that was, again, the perception that I had. Um, and then he was like, yeah, well, you've got the, you know, the right training ethic. We just need to tweak some stuff. But if you have a think about it. And, yeah, a few weeks went by. I went through a really bad relationship, like a boy-girl relationship, not just a friendship <laughs> relationship. An intimate relationship. Yeah, there we go. Real boy <laughs> It wasn't a relationship yeah. with a toaster. Yeah. It, was yeah. a, it was a human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that went south, and it was I, and it had that was kind of it was a compounding effect. I'd been through some really bad relationships, and this was another one that had happened. And I was at a point where I was like, I just remember thinking, I need to do something for me, and all that was in my head was the seed of bodybuilding. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to actually do something for me. 
I felt like my relationships were always driven towards like helping others or wanting to like please others and I was at the point where I was like no actually I think I really want to do something for me and so I went up to Philly and was like what would you do what would what's the next thing if I was thinking about bodybuilding and he was like see you on Friday and the first thing he said to me was you need to eat eat more and train less and that was just like that was really like, yeah. I'm like ready to like bodybuilding. Okay, sweet. Like I'm ready to go harder. Like I'm ready to like <laughs> all day, water. all day at the gym. And eat nothing. Like I was just ready for like whatever, whatever was thrown at me. And it was literally a case of it was the complete opposite to the mindset that I'd always fostered. Um, and it definitely was not a linear journey from there in terms of of healing that. Like it definitely was. It took a lot of trust in the process and a trust yeah. in him. And understanding that, like, I just needed to lean on what he had to say. But I needed everything written down to a T. I needed it, like, itemized. I needed, like, instruction for absolutely everything because I didn't want to over or underdo it. But I knew that if left to my own devices, like, I'd be, you know, eating nothing, training all day, every day. Do you remember what the beginning stages of your plan looked like Um, in terms of your weights and your food? Yeah, like, it was learning because, like, I... I'd taught myself mostly training. Um, I had been training with a PT. It's actually the person I was in a relationship with at the time. Uh, like, well, before that. But, like, he, um, I'd learned some stuff, but, like, really basic stuff. Um, and then I, so I really needed to learn bodybuilding-specific training. And, Cam, you'll know this, and Joshua too. Like, it's very, very specific to, like, building a certain physique whereas I'd just shatter guns like I'd literally just been like I'm going to go in today and I'm doing all body every single exercise I know I'm here three hours let's just go whereas this was like you're going to be doing six exercises today and it's going to be focused towards this body type and we need to like go really really light and learn how to move and it was I literally I remember after my second session being like saying to one of my friends like oh I don't know if um I don't know if this is the right PT for me. Like, he's not really pushing me hard enough. And, like, Pete, Philip probably laugh at that. But, like, I remember at the time being like, oh, I don't know if this is right. Like, it's too easy, you know, because it was all, like, just learning the basic, um, which is definitely as a coach and a PT where you should start. And um, But you would have had that with clients who would have trained with you as well. Big time. When I was a personal trainer, it was the same thing. Oh, I wasn't even sore the next day. Yeah. Like, okay, time. that's good. We've got room to in, like increase the intensity. Exactly, or... and it's that shift in mentality. Yeah, yeah you've also got no um, understanding of the value of incremental growth. Yeah. You know, Aggressive like, overload. Yeah, yeah. Like you just go in there and smash and think, oh, you know, you know I'm, I'm a shit ton of pain, so I must have done, you know, something right. Um, what they're actually trying to teach you is this you know appropriate strategic you know analytical kind of structure to it that yeah that also at its foundation requires as you've pointed out patience and trust in that system but at that point you haven't learned that value at all You're oh kind of, not at all yeah not all you all. know is smash pain yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> literally so it was a real like contrast to like the way that I had trained and then we like stripped everything back and we started at the very basics and it was just a process of learning. And so there, it was March, I'm going to say about March of 2014 when I started training with Philly, maybe a little bit before February. Um, and then, and I was 20 because it was my 21st that year. So um, 
No, maybe they tweeted. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and then they, um, and then I was saying that I said to him, "Let's go for September." Like I was like, "Yeah, okay, we're doing September." And he was like, "Let's just see how we go," because with bodybuilding, you want to give yourself a good amount of time to learn yeah. how to train, learn your body, make sure it's the right thing for you, all of those sorts of things. But sounds like you guys are really also like, you know, you're like, "All right, no, 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 let's go September." And, yeah. and his response is. Let's just see how we go. Come on, it's let's been our relationship to... the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. It's, I can hear that coming through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. He's very much the cool, calm, collected, like level-headed, and I'm very fiery, like let's go, um, which is a good balance. Like it is a good balance because it like does it does work. But yeah, we we went through that, and then like my body just responded really, really well. I didn't need to like my food was definitely more than like I had been eating and a lot more structured obviously I remember at that point when I'd met him I was eating one six inch subway a day and training like I was and also taking every fat burner I had I'd started taking a fat burner and I was taking about three times the amount that was prescribed and it was a fat burner that you had to buy from behind the counter it wasn't necessarily like it was one of the hard out ones how'd your heart not explode i know literally so i was taking like triple the amount because i was i was me and invincible and thought that like i needed more than everyone else so i think it was like the recommended dose was two i was taking like six pills a day and the reason i was having subway was was because jared lost all that weight on the subway yeah yeah (laughs) and i was like must be healthy marketing Of course, he was up to far more uh, sinister activities in the background. But yeah, we won't go, literally. We yeah. won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, so that was like my diet. So like it had, yeah, definitely changed, and we had a lot more structure, a lot more health going, a lot more nutrients going into it. And then um, my body just just responded really well. Like I remember that first prep, and we did decide to go ahead because my body was responding. I really, and I was definitely not on fat burners at that point. I had had a good detox from fat burners. But, like, I really didn't need to do much cardio. I was um, not needing to change my food drastically at all. My body was, we were just on a really good formula. And, yeah, I, like, just remember being, like, I want this to get hard. Like, I'd been told about how hard bodybuilding was and the prep was. I just remember saying to Philly, like, this is, like, when is it going to get hard? Like, I wanted to do cardio. I wanted to be, like, this athlete that everyone, like, talks about, you know. So it was actually a really hard process that first one because it was a lot it was probably just coming straight from the abuse that I was giving my body to literally nourishing my body I really like was just wanting to like go back to that so it was really hard but um yeah I came into my first show and and it was it was like yeah it was really good it went really really well I was probably too lean but I was very little I was something like I think I was like 48 kilos stage weight, which was pretty tiny. And I had, yeah, next to not, not not a lot of muscle. Like I was very small, as expected. I'd only just started training properly for bodybuilding specific training. And so, yeah, and then after that, I was rearing to go like for my next, like I, I did do nationals after that. But I remember like just rearing to go for the next show. Like I was like, cool, when's the next one? So and just to take stock, what was your kind of um, narrative or in a dialogue with your body at this point now that you'd yeah. sort of known Philly for a few months, what was going on there? I absolutely loved what my body looked like. I thought it was like the coolest thing. Like I was like, oh my God, this is just awesome. Um, and so this is where the big question mark goes on if you've got an eating disorder 
or body dysmorphia, whether bodybuilding is the right thing for you. It worked out well for me, but it definitely is a case that, like, at that point, it is, you are, like, you're feeding into your narrative, effectively. Like, you're shredding, and you're absolutely shredded. And I just remember thinking I looked so cool. You know, like, this was awesome and such a cool feeling. And so post that show definitely was difficult, and that's sort of something that, like, I, when I was like coaching and stuff, like it's definitely a, a thing to talk about, with, especially with girls. Post show blues, and this is something Josh, you and I spoke about just briefly before, is a real thing where you're battling the fact that you've been focused on this goal for so long and it's been all consuming, and then all of a sudden the goal sh- like is gone and you're just floating. You're like, oh, well, where's my direction? It's like, what am I doing? It yeah. is, it is. Yeah. And it's, and from a, like a psychological level, like it's very much like, like within your brain like it's a very difficult thing to cope with but you don't you don't understand as well because you know in the example i was talking about with myself earlier Mm. um via a competition i won back in 2007 cloud you know absolutely just beaming for about 48 hours yeah and then crash yeah and i had no capacity to understand i just i couldn't understand why yeah it's like shouldn't i be happy now for the rest of my life yeah (laughs) exactly it's so true and that's and that's it like it is, and it's also with that's like with bodybuilding in specific, you're then now putting weight back on, and you're actually like your body's starting to shift, and it should shift relatively quickly. Like you're reverse dieting out, but it should start to shift relatively quickly because you are very lean, and it's not healthy to stay there for a long period of time, and especially as a female because all your hormones need to be nourished and get some body fat back on. So it is um, a very difficult thing to go through, but. And so I always say to people, I, I've never experienced someone getting on a bodybuilding stage and saying, I hated that afterwards. They come straight off and they're like, I loved that. It's such a high. They worked so hard to get there. They love every minute of it. It's the post-show that determines whether you want to get back on stage again because that next couple of months can be really, really hard for anyone, let alone someone that's definitely struggled with an eating disorder. And what, what did that post-nationals experience look like for you did you follow a strict reverse diet yeah how, I how did you manage it I definitely had a reverse diet and like I say my food hadn't like greatly shifted over that period of time so I guess it was more for me more than a reverse diet because my starting point was never overly great it was actually just training my body back to eating more food so I was actually learning how to eat more food I was just gonna say and a reverse diet if you don't know is effectively the same as a diet except instead of continually or incrementally taking things out you slowly add things back in yeah yeah exactly so so it's still really controlled yeah 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 very much um but yeah i just i for me that show was only supposed to be the one off it was gonna be one ticket off the bucket list and then that was me done and with I had, bodybuilding in general yeah, or, yeah yeah it was just such I wanted to get continue training but I'd actually had plans to move overseas and I yeah I definitely wasn't going to continue or just didn't, hadn't really thought about it but I definitely got the bug and really loved the whole process so following that decided that I wanted to stay for a bit more and, and do another show but I wanted to compete again and there was a show in April or March and I was like yep yeah, I'm doing that one and Philly was like, no, 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 you need to grow. And like, well, you can reflect now and know how like little I was. It was the case that I needed to. But in my head, I was like, no, I want 
going to do a show straight away. But with bodybuilding, it's when you're um, leaning down, so going through a prep, when your body doesn't have enough reserves to grow. So you're not really focusing on growth anymore. Your goal is not growth, it's to get lean and maintain muscle mass as much as you can. Whereas like, and then coming out of the show, you have a bit of that too, where you're bringing your body weight back up slowly, but it's you're not really focusing hugely on growth until you start getting thick into your off season and that's when growth becomes the priority. But if you're just doing back-to-back shows, you're not going to get a lot of time for growth. It's more just maintaining. So when you're doing back-to-back shows, and that tends to happen once you turn pro, you have little time for the growth period. So you want to be at a point that you are like pretty good and you've just got slight tweaks to make based on feedback or whatever, but you've got a good amount of muscle mass. But in the beginning, early stages, you definitely want to give yourself like a good solid year in between, especially your first show, to make some solid changes, depending on your starting point, but most of the time. And so I took a year off and then came back in 2015, and that's where I won my 2015 regionals, Wellington regionals, and then went on to win the Wellington, um, uh, sorry, the Nationals, the New Zealand Nationals. How did you feel about that? So what was your focus going into those shows? Did you think you were actually good and could do well or were you just wanting to have fun and just step on stage again? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, My first show, you have no expectation. I had no expectation whatsoever. I just wanted to do it, get on stage and have fun. Had no, like, couldn't even visualise what it was going to be like to be on stage. Um, And then... My first show, I placed second. In 2014, I placed second, and I'd gone into open. And I kind of had it in my head that I felt it went really, really well. So I felt like going into nationals, like I had a good chance at like placing. And so I, my expectations were probably well and truly too high going into that nationals. I just like, I think that happens sometimes when you just like have no concept. I mean, I didn't know anything about bodybuilding at that point. It was my first show, my first experience with it. Um... And so when I didn't place at all at my national, at my first nationals, and I just remember being devastated, like absolutely devastated. I went backstage, I was so upset. And um, I think that's make or break at that point. It's like, is this something that you want to do when you're feeling this devastated? Or is this something that like, or is this it? Like, you know, like, can you put up with this feeling of someone telling you whether you're good enough standing in front of them on stage which for something for me, like my body was like my worth, you know, my absolute, like everything. Is that something you want to do? And I just remember at, like even just packing up my bag and I was like, I'm coming back. And so I knew then that was something I wanted to do and going into Nash, into the next year, like I thought I had a good physique, but I didn't know what it was going to be comparative to everyone else. And I, I really didn't, it was something that Philly taught me very, very early on is like stay in your lane. The, into the tunnel like you literally when you're on prep focusing on absolutely no one else other than yourself like you in the mirror and you're focusing on beating last year but don't worry about your competition and honestly I still I couldn't really tell you who I was standing on stage with I know all those girls really well now um but I generally can't remember who I was standing on stage with I was just so focused on myself so the competition really at that point wasn't about competition with anyone else other than me but so when I won, it was pretty like surprising to like I was really stoked, but I was like quite surprised. It was like, um, and it was just the, the best feeling in the world, obviously. And then going into nationals to then win that, yeah, there was definitely no expectation for either of those to do as well as I did. 
it's not until expectation doesn't come until after that um, yeah. and all of a sudden you do really really well like that and you've sort of got a target on you of like the fact that you know it's a pressure when you're the underdog there isn't that much pressure right. but when you're the champion then all of a sudden it's like that's you have a bit more of an expectation on both yourself and other people have got eyes on you you know so that following show is more where the pressure came on but it's interesting because I still remember and this is going back to talking about that post comp blues that show it was the best that it could have ever possibly gone like I won the overall title at both shows and um I still crashed after that. I still, the next day was like, felt so low. And it was just that like overarching goal was like shifted. And it's like, now what's the plan? You know, like what's the next thing? So yeah, it was a, it's really interesting how deep that goes because it doesn't matter even if you get the best result ever. It is still like a real hormonal shift that happens post a show that can be really challenging to deal with. One, one of the uh, techniques I've tried to learn and I'm learning a lot through writing because you, you never... You know, I was saying to a friend of mine quite recently, in fact, you can't take a blank page and just very frantically throw an idea at it and then it's done. Mm. You kind of add to it and build over time. Yeah. You edit, you know, like... Iteration. The, yeah, the creative draft is like just one version and then from there it take goes under under the knife of this really um, analytical editing process that can take as long as it needs to because yeah. you learn that you can't force it. You've got to kind of, you know, give it the room to breathe and for the idea to, to gestate or whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the model you've kind of described, you know, when you have that uh, post-competition crash mm. is because you're, you, you know, you're, you're pinning all your value to the moment of that competition rather than kind of falling in love with the journey, yeah. so to speak. Very much. Yeah. yeah, very much. It's really interesting. So, yeah, it's like, and it's interesting actually talking about that, like pinning a lot of value on one thing is something that I've learned and it's through like seeing a psychologist and stuff which has really helped me get through that like coming out of a show either whether it's like post-comp blues that you're just battling or whether it's actually not receiving the result that you want you know like whether you go to a show and you don't place where you expected or yeah dealing with sort of the the post-show side of things plus also um, the issues that I was struggling with, body dysmorphia. Seeing a psychologist, they talked about, she talked about it as like a pie, like your life being a pie. And your pie is a perfect ideal person, which is never like the case, obviously, but as a perfect, well-balanced person, should be evenly split to all areas of your yeah. life. And so you have like your hobbies, so let's say, say bodybuilding, you have work, you have family, you have friends, and so on and so forth, the things that are like really important in your life and that make up your life. And they should be evenly balanced in terms of how much value you put place on those. And when I had met with her, that was, oh, I can't remember when, what, what point in my story that had happened, but I think it was, I think it was 2016 after an international show that I'd done and I met with her and she said how I had placed like my pie was effectively like three quarters bodybuilding <laughs> and then everything else was squeezed into every into the rest of the pie and so what happened was that whenever anything cracked in bodybuilding whether it be like after a show and it was no longer there was no show in the future yet planned or whether it was I didn't get the result I wanted that whole my whole self-worth and value cracked and was it was painful because 
what I believed to be most valuable to me or me as a person was not going well. And so, whereas when it's more balanced, yeah, part of you might be like, that's devastating for a part of you, but you but you lean on the other areas of your life at that point and know that you're still a person with a lot of worth yeah. because you have these other things to lean on. And You've that's got multiple channels in your foundation. Very um, much. And so you're I, stable. I find it, I don't really like using this term because it's very business orientated speak, but I call them my work streams. Mm. You know, you've got those different work streams that you're kind of each are flowing at any one given time. So yeah. if one of them dries up or crescendos with say a competition, mm. you've got these other things there that are sort of helping continue the value in your life and the quality of life you're living Very continue much. to flow. Um, with that three quarters of the pie taken up on bodybuilding, I was actually reading an article recently that talks about, um, they, they term it the arrival fallacy. Mm. So the fallacy we all fall into of believing that once we arrive at this particular moment, um, you know, in your case, a competition or whatever, I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life from yeah, that moment on. So destination true. focused, whereas yeah. happiness comes from seeing ourselves work towards a goal, yeah. like, like incrementally achieving small things on a journey, mm. as opposed to being this destination focus where when I get to this point, that's like eternal happiness. I've clocked life, guys. Yeah. I am sorted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine exactly. that. Your life's done once yeah. you're like clocked yeah. it. You're like, yeah. but that's exactly it. I, and I, that was something that like was that I reiterate so much when I talk to girls about competing or guys as well, but like obviously I was coaching a lot of girls and stuff and like, especially early on, like your first comp and I think with social media the way it is and like people just expect glory or like success or linear, like just straight away, that's what they want to achieve. But if you do like for bodybuilding, you're prepping for like, like that first prep for me was almost a year and like, a lot of the time you might train for a year before you actually go into a prep and then your prep itself is like around four months, three to four months. And if all you're basing your happiness on is five minutes on stage and or like even two minutes of the like actual presentation of the awards and that determines whether you're happy with that whole period, it's like... It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Like you need to enjoy that process and you need to like think about the wins throughout that whole process otherwise it's just going to be exhausting and not actually and not actually be something you'll want to continue because you're bla you're placing your worth and your self-worth or your enjoyment or happiness on someone else's decision I, re I really empathize with that and you know I've been through that experience or that arrival fallacy kind of trap that we fall into I've certainly been through that myself but the more I, the more you're talking the more I think about how much we're conditioned to think that way through a lot of um linear narratives that that exist in the real world you know the american dream yeah the relationships we have like you know um uh progressing through a career path um you know the fact that we you know on a on a physical body level we do age linearly yeah. but you know it's not the way the mind works so it's any wonder that we fall into that trap over and over again because there's so many patterns around us in every different facet of the life of the lives that we lead that um you know, lead us into believing that that is the, the natural flow of things. Yeah. But it's just not much. how the mind works. It spirals all around. Yeah, it's really interesting, eh? And it's very driven by society, as you say, and, like, the, the way that it sort of, like, conditions you. You mentioned social media before, you know, so we're talking back in, I think you mentioned around 2016, 2017. Um, obviously, social media is running havoc at this point. So yeah. how did that kind of factor into your journey? Because I know that that impacts a lot of women as well, you know, the, yeah, the comparison time. syndrome that people fall into. Yeah, it's really interesting. I 
from the beginning. So I started my social media probably around the time, oh, around the time I started bodybuilding. So 2014 was when I started my like fitness page. And that in itself was quite an interesting journey, I think, because transitioning from just a, like a personal page to all of a sudden like trying to morph into more of a person that like wants to share their journey and educate and inspire and all those things was it's quite like friends found that quite like difficult to yeah, you had some quality content when you started out though I think my <laughs> favorite photo of one of your real old ones it was like edited she's like it's a photo of her like down in like the sprinter's position yeah but she edited a swimming pool in front of her I was like are you about to sprint into a swimming pool? <laughs> like, what's going it's on here? Content. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, did you so do it? Did you do it comically? So it was like real bad Photoshop or more like? Ec- no, it was yeah, it was serious. It was yeah. motivation. Yeah, it was motivation. Yeah, <laughs> love it. It's great. Um, no, but yeah, that was that was interesting in itself. I guess like changing into to sharing more in a different. I mean, I guess it's a different narration like you're almost talking a little bit different and it's a business model that's right personal yeah yeah so that was interesting like um sort of navigating through that with friends and stuff old people at the gym and stuff like that did they find it kind of funny when they did yeah i got a lot of like yeah yeah piss take like about like certain things you know because they'd be like oh that's sort of you taking the piss how did you cope with that at that stage because by then you obviously had more tools to at your disposal to help sort of negotiate those or navigate yeah. that kind of I think it's just it's always focusing on like what you actually want to achieve and I think you place value on someone's opinion based on how much value you place on the thing you're wanting to achieve and I knew that that's something I really wanted to do and that meant that that was more important to me than things that people were saying um, and it definitely depended on who, like who that person was and a lot of the time it was just people from the gym or whatever so you didn't it was kind of right. you didn't experience too much um Tall poppy syndrome. Um. Yep. Yeah, no. Definitely. You did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Definitely. But it's sort of. Um. So it definitely. Yeah. As I say, it wasn't a linear journey, and being someone that does care about other people's opinions, it was difficult to navigate. But during my early stages, and honestly, more recently, has been more when I've shared more on Instagram through or um, social media through my preps. It's something I've been trying to focus on. But my mindset around prep was to stay completely off social media. Dorian Yates down in the basement. Don't yeah. come out until you step on stage. Yeah. And it, like part of that was that, like not showing like what I had until stage day. But also it was more so a mindset thing. It was preserving myself from comparison. Oh, it would have been, it would have contaminated the shit out of you. If yeah. You let that in even just for mm. a second. Yeah. yeah. And that's literally it. Like, you know, everyone puts up their highlight reels and like it, honestly, it's insane. Like even the big boys and like that we watch for, for Olympia and stuff like that. Like until you see them on stage, like they may look insane mm. and I'm sure they do look insane, but until you see them on stage compared to the people on stage, it's not, that's when it's been put into perspective and when you actually know who's competitive and who's not, you know, whereas like. Social media is just, it can, and obviously, as we all know, lights and angles and can make things look so different. So, like, all it is is if, if, you're, go, if you're competing and you're comparing yourself against other people, it's just poisoning your focus. Yeah. So, for me, it was very much around just staying off and, like, then towards, like, as I started getting growing my social media more, it was like I still wanted to post. So, I just posted and came off, like, didn't didn't like look through my news feed or like anything like that because I just needed to completely stay off to make sure I didn't have any of that comparison um, 
poison, I guess. Where yeah. it's, and it's all self conflicted you know, it's all self inflicted where you're just literally um, doing it to yourself and it's a mindset. But um, then like now later later on, like I can definitely I can manage that better. You know, like I don't I know that like I know social media and how it works and I know like photos don't matter. And like at this point, once you turn pro or like you're at a pro level and you're competing against other pros, everyone looks insane. And it's really about like how they turn up on the day and also like everyone has advantages over everyone else. Like everyone looks crazy good, but slight differences in the shape of your glute or slight, slightly bigger lower glutes or slightly bigger shoulders or is going to win on the day. So it's not big differences so you can appreciate that someone else looks good but not make it like let it freak you out completely where you're like oh my god I'm they're way too good because everyone's kind of looking at a, at a pretty good level but it's not to say it doesn't still affect you you're only human of course it does so you've just got to really like make sure you're being mindful and just making sure you're not like letting it consume you but yeah earlier on I definitely had to be very careful around um social media when I from a competitive side point like when I was um, compete like in prep or in prep mode um, but in terms of like outside of that um, yeah off season could could still be very difficult like off season like because then it's another it's another thing you're looking at where it's like now you're not shredded you're in an off season physique and so you're kind of like focusing on what you're putting up in an off season and making sure you still feel like you look good enough if that as an athlete, so you're yeah. like, oh, I'm in an off season, I'm growing, all of those things, and then you're like, you're kind of scared to post in case someone's like, oh, you don't even look like an athlete, you know. So you're battling those things in yeah. your head. And then oh, it's off season, you're not, I believe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah literally. So it's like it's it's definitely always a mind game when it, in those earlier stages, especially. But then once you, like I say, it's not been a linear journey, but um, self love and self worth for me has been something that I've really like focused on for such a long time that like coming out that other side you get more confidence in what you're posting and know that people follow you for you and, and more for than more for like more than just the way that you perceive yourself to look if that makes sense and it's a lot of it is comes from within so what would you I guess um because your particular journey sent you down the bodybuilding path and you referenced yourself that each person that has these kind of issues the issue is there's as many different versions of the issue as there are people that have it, mm. you know, it's, they're going to have their own unique, unique version to them. Mm. Um, what would you kind of, based on the experience you've been through and the fact that bodybuilding, you know, led you down this path, yeah. what would be your advice to those guys that I guess are at that point where they haven't found that thing yet? Yeah. They haven't been able to flick the switch back. They haven't yeah. been able to kind of turn their, you know, their, um, villainizing of themselves into a into a tool through you know good practice and all that kind yeah, of thing definitely. yeah first and foremost and it's like anything is like admitting you have a problem it's understanding that that, that that's not okay that the things you are doing are actually not healthy or good for you um and then it's about working through and understanding that it doesn't need to be that way like i think when I was at that point, because it's the way that you are and it's the way that you've been for such a long time, it's kind of just like, this is just the way and this is what I do. No one else understands, but, and it's being in turmoil all the time, but just being like, well, this is the hand I've dealt with. This is who I am. It's understanding that there are ways to grow and change. 
And so seeking help is just, that's the only piece of advice I have for that is literally like, there's could no be anyone, right? cookie cutter. There's no cookie cutter plan of like, these are the actions you need to take to, to be better. It's literally a case of like your scars that you wear or carry are so specific to you and so many different things that have happened within your life have led you to this. And so you need to talk to someone that's in a professional setting that can help you unravel that. Because right now I'm sure it's just a ball of yarn that's completely like tangled up and you need someone to help you unravel it to understand first where it stemmed from, second, like when the switch was sort of like like flicked on, I guess, at what point in your life, what caused it. And that will help you work backwards as to like where it actually stemmed from and then therefore how are you going to help fix that. Um, for me, speaking to a psychologist, the biggest thing was that pie. And it's literally something I still, and like, Cam, you know, there's something that I still constantly work on is literally understanding that I am more than my body and my physique and the way that I look. And I am more than my relationships, like I, or what someone thinks of me. I am within, I have need to balance my pie. And I really think it's a fluid process. Like I really believe the pie is always shifting. I don't believe it's something that's just like, for this period of time, your pie looks like this. I think daily even, it can change sometimes, but like different periods of your life. Um, so for example, like, yeah, I just think that like now, like I'm focusing more on always trying to find ways to balance that out. And I think, um, and that comes relationships, family, friends, work, and then life and also like bodybuilding sits in there as well, but it doesn't consume all of my pie now. And I think that's something that's really helped me because it means that like, yeah, okay, if I'm, there's, I'm not going to lie, there's still days where I'll look at myself and be like, you look fat. And I know that I probably don't. <laughs> I know that in the back of my mind. But now you've got a tool set truth. to work yeah. back against yeah, that. Yeah, very much. But now I know that like, that is not all of me. Like, and so it, how much that hurts or bothers me is like this much, like a very tiny amount for those that are just listening, um, versus like what it was, which was all consuming. It was literally my whole pie and it was, I would crumble and like I would literally feel my heart hurt and I'd feel like wanting to vomit at the thought of like how much I disliked what I was seeing and how out of control I felt of even being able to change that. You know, and at the end of the day now, like if I really feel really bad about the way that I'm looking at any point, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, okay, cool, what action can we put in place to make yourself feel better? Like whether yeah. it actually is something that is just like, oh, I'm having a bad day or whether it's like, oh no, I'm like enjoying off season way too much. These are the reasons what's happening. <laughs> I need to like, just let's put a, a plan in place just to bring back the calories, maybe bring up a bit of cardio, but nothing that's crazy. So I think the first thing going back to your question is to really understand what is your vice, what caused it and then unravel where it came from so that you can put measures in place but it's understanding that it's no there's no quick fix unfortunately it's not a switch that just turns on and off at the like the press of a button it is something that's going to take a very long time and it's probably been with you for a very long time so being really patient with yourself they're just like through that through the last eight years it's been an absolute like up and down roller coaster in terms of how I feel about my body or um, I've never actually, interesting enough, from since finding Philly and bodybuilding, I've never gone back to be to anorexia as such, um, or like to to what it was. I've never ever gone back to just completely starving myself. I've definitely gone through periods of putting myself on stupid calories, which I guess is very similar, but it's still eating very regularly, just like 
not as much like probably very and it wasn't very mindful it was just the case that like I'd put myself on a diet and be on this these low calories for a long period of time thinking it was going to get me to the result that I wanted but I've never actually fully gone back to being like just starving myself for long periods of time um but it's understanding that it's not linear and I'm not sitting here saying that like one day I went into bodybuilding and I flicked the switch and I was like happy and lived on a rainbow for the rest of my life it was definitely an up and down journey yeah which is you, you touched on a theme that I'm hearing come through quite a bit here which is expectation management yeah which is why I would argue it's so critical to to talk to someone because mm. if you're trapped in that toxic kind of mindset you're not going to be able to manage your own expectations in a healthy manner the moment you talk to someone else you know it might not go well straight away to begin with and that's one thing that you know we've probably all experienced which you know if, if that's the case don't let it you know kick you and make you think oh well, that didn't work you know try talking to someone else you know keep, yeah, keep, keep moving right. but um the moment you do start opening up to someone outside of your own mindset and where it's gone you'll start to engage in having your expectations managed and then if you do speak to someone professional like you did it sounds like she managed your expectations really well yeah very and, much that, so. and that made it easier to go down that journey of healing yeah very much and like it's just they ask such interesting questions that like just or put you into a, a place that just is so confronting that you realize it just puts things into perspective so much and it's like how we spoke earlier about how a couple of things that young people say to you or when you're young a couple of comments that are made that are probably like not that significant but touch a button it's like when they talk to you yeah <laughs> literally and it's like when the when they're talking to you like it's just certain things that they say I mean they there'll be so many other things that she spoke to me about but like this there's a couple of key points that that psychologist spoke to me about because she was a specific sports psychologist that I went to see and um it was literally just like I've just carried that ever since then there are those things that I literally just like carry and think about and reflect on such a high level and I feel like have been so significant to changing me as a person and I remember one of them actually was like Instagram because I was holding such a high value at that point on Instagram and like my social media accounts and stuff. And um, she was like, if I took away bodybuilding and your Instagram, so like took your bodybuilding away from you and I saw you walking down the street and you no longer had those things about you. And I was like, hey, Chloe, like, how are you going? How would you feel? Would you feel confident talking to me? And I was like, definitely not. And now like reflecting on that, I, that's not how I would feel at all. At the time, that was like, hell no. Like, if you told me I wasn't a bodybuilder anymore and you asked me how I was, how I, like, who I was and how I was going or what I was doing in my life, I would have, like, literally felt like a shell. Like, that's literally how I felt. Like, I was like, I wouldn't even know what I'd say to you. I wouldn't even want to speak to you. Whereas, like, now I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is what's going on. Like, I live in a great place. I've got a great partner. I'm this, that, the other. And, like, you know, like there's, it's just really interesting and those things have really held true to me where I'm like, wow, like I have grown so much from that time and it's, so it's something that really like I think has helped in my journey so much. But even from then, you've steadily improved year after year because like, obviously you've competed each year since then, mm -hmm. but you've steadily improved with that pie. Yeah. If we think about even the summer that we're going through now, if you think about how much time we've spent with 
friends and family and stuff like that like still being at the gym mm-hmm. but being you know going into those different wedges of your pie mm-hmm. versus a few years ago it would have been no nope, I still have to be 100% on my plan I can't go to that this weekend I can't go camping I can't go to the beach because I've got to go and do this yeah, exactly. but it's so so fickle because if you contemplate the idea of you getting a big injury or something like that and then all of a sudden you can't compete and you can't train yeah very much it's really interesting and it's also like an interesting thing because the reality is having a more balanced pie makes you a better athlete and Mm. makes you a better bodybuilder because you're happier your soul's happier you're you enjoy it more because it's an outlet or it's something different it's not all consuming and so like those things actually make you a better athlete but when you become so consumed it actually is detrimental to like you as an athlete because mentally you're not you're not doing at your best Mm. you're not happy you know and you also have the thoughts in the back of your mind i know you go through these sort of things sometimes where in the back of your mind you're like oh i haven't seen my friends in you know a couple months or i haven't been seeing nana or my family or you know enough and it just and it weighs on you yeah and sometimes during prep especially you have to do that because you're like i literally don't have the time Mm -hmm. but that's why when you're in off season it's super important to dedicate more time and effort to that which could apply to any sport or any endeavor it doesn't have to be bodybuilding specific yeah, that's right. but then it stops you from having those thoughts in the back of your mind like oh man i'm a bad friend or i'm a bad family member yeah very much it makes you very much more balanced but it's just important for overall happiness and well-being and it means that it's something that's sustainable realistically if like you know because if you're just constantly and yeah i think this one this prep has probably been the best i've felt post and I was saying this briefly to you, Josh, but like I have not experienced any post-show like blues as such or um, yeah, I've just been like really content and I've really like, I think it's just because I feel like my pie is probably the most balanced it's been in a very, yeah. very long time. And maybe this is like, and it's something that I'm constantly working on. So maybe it is at the point where it's like the best that it's ever been. And it's just a compounding effect of me constantly working on that. But it's meant that that trans- transition from show to now is like, it was seamless. It was literally like, okay, that's done. But now I get to go see, I'm going to go see my friends. It was kind of the benefit of gonna... it being a week before Christmas too. Yeah, right? I was because that was a romantic time. It was the time. weekend before <laughs> yeah. Christmas where we obviously had Christmas here and then we were away for a couple of weeks and yeah. we went camping and enjoyed summer. But even then if you didn't have a good mindset going into that, that could be the worst thing because then you're like, how am I going to prep my meals? How am I going to go to the gym? How am I going to do cardio? So that's where it had started from was definitely that, you know, I was like, Oh God, like I'm going in post show and I'm going away. Like, what am I going to do? But we like made it work. And, but also like, yeah, it was just being really gentle in that process. But yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like this is the best I've ever felt post a show. And, um, I think it's just a, as I say, a compounding effect of like that constant work of just trying to improve balancing that pie and understanding what that pie looks like. And I literally write the pie down. Like I'll literally like yeah. redraw it and literally realistic be like, what are these elements? Because sometimes those things will change too, you know, like yeah. what life yeah, work absolutely. or whatever looks like. And like it's different for every person, but like they'll constantly shift. And so I'll be like, okay, what areas do I actually need to be dedicating more energy into to make myself more balanced? Well, and one of the things that I think is quite interesting about um, the way you've described your journey is at the very start, the thing that got you 
flicking the switch um, to a negative setting was one simple comment mm. from one of your friends or you know one of the girls you went to school with or whatever that you know got under your skin and then seeded and grew into this manifestation that resulted in you needing to find a healthier way mm. and then one of the things that ultimately got you on a good path was quite similar it was a small comment yeah about the pie so that, true. that got seeded and you know my my take out from that from a helicopter view is like it it sort of reflects who you are as a person and what can influence your your path or your journey, whatever you want to call it. And it, it really plays to what you said before about recognizing those sort of higher level drivers, but then finding a way to use them as tools, Yeah, you know, to use them as much. a strength. You know, that this woman said something that, you know, absolutely seeded in you and created a, a really strong path that you then went down. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I just think it's quite fascinating that that was also so how true. the journey started yeah, yeah it's so true and I think um stemming on from that it's it shows you like when we talk about control I guess like or just having yeah feeling like you have control of your life it's pretty cool to reflect on the fact that like if we look at Philly and going down the bodybuilding path was a decision that like I then spent a lot of time delving into that that sort of spectrum which like changed changed my course I guess and changed my direction in life and then, like, I seeked out the help of the psychologist, which then again has helped path or, like, change the direction of my life or manifest different areas of my life. And I think, like, it's so true of, like, who you spend time with or who you choose to spend time with and who you seek help from or who you, um, who you follow on Instagram or the, the, the society that you create within or your environment that you create dictates who you then become 100 percent, and it's yeah. like really interesting when you look at how much control you actually have over that yeah you know if someone's not feeding into your life the way that they should or it's negatively impacting your life you should make that change you and know? you know for those listening who you know might be in a situation like that and might not even know because mm -hmm. that could come down to your living situation a partner friends that are toxic you know whatever um i've, I've been through that experience before myself and my one learning from it was because you can, you convince yourself that it, it's at the time that it's fine, you know, mm. this is all okay. You know, New Zealanders especially have that she'll be right kind of attitude. Yeah. But looking back, there was an instinctive kick in mm. that moment that I, that I did ignore a little bit. Yeah. I yeah. knew something wasn't right. I couldn't characterize it. I couldn't say exactly what it was, but um, if you are listening and you do feel that, you know, whether it be towards a, again, a relationship, a living situation, whatever, don't ignore it. Like, yeah, listen to time. that instinct. Definitely. And and just really be honest with yourself. Like, really reflect on how you're contributing to your environment or your setting. You know, like, who are you following on social media? When you sit down on the couch, what do you put on the TV? When you, like, go hang out with people, are you, like, going, what are you doing? Like, you know, what activity are you doing? Are you going out drinking or are you going out to, like, and when you're talking, are you talking about other people or are you talking about ideas? It's all things that, like, you know, this conversation here, like that we're having between ourselves is like broadening, broadening like ourselves, but also helping other people, the people that are choosing to tune in, hopefully might learn or take something away. And it might be just one statement, but it changes, like could change someone's life. That pie could it absolutely, like that one comment that I made the decision to go see that psychologist, that one comment changed such a big thing in my life. And 
that's the sort of things to reflect on and to be super honest with yourself around like what things could you change because sometimes it's not always fun to be like actually like maybe I should put on the TV something a little bit more like that I can learn about and it can be a hard shift to make from after work sitting down the TV and you want on the couch and you want to be like oh I just want to watch something mindless rather than that doing that for 20 minutes 20 minutes turn something on YouTube that you can learn something from or maybe the option would be don't even turn on the TV yeah go outside and go for a walk instead yeah true exactly or like practice mindfulness and sit with yourself for 20 minutes it can be super confronting and can be super like a hard thing to do but those sorts of things are what helps us grow and unfortunately comfort doesn't and like we tend to lean towards more comfort and those hard conversations with both ourselves and others are actually what helps us change and grow you know but also keep it really simple you know um like there could be people listening to the journey you've gone through and there's a lot of different moving parts and stuff like that but if you really really reduce it down to the one simple thing that got you on a path that was having a conversation with a woman who said one thing and Mm. you know by allowing yourself to get out of your comfort zone and have those different conversations and learn those different things you could end up stumbling on that one thing you know it's it's and it is very very simple you know don't over don't overcomplicate it just allow yourself to be exposed to go outside your comfort zone yeah and i think it's that comes down to that like famous quote you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different result is insanity. It's, yeah. it's the same. It's, it's so true for this situation. Like if you are in a really bad space, but you are constantly in a routine of the same people, the same things, and doing the same activities or the lack of activities, you've got to be true, like be honest with yourself and reflect on that. So write it down and just reflect on that situation and be like, where am I going wrong? Yeah. What is happening in my life? that I'm allowing to happen or I'm contributing to happen and what can I change? What am I in control of that I can change? And it is it is the case that that can be super confronting and hard to like sit down because I think, and this comes down to like, yeah, it can be really hard when if you play the victim too much around your situation and not actually look at what you are doing to contribute to the situation. What can I do? What can I, yeah, what are my just choices? just take control. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing is like, understanding that you are in control I think that's what my whole like something that that changed my life was like in in a very in different situations was the fact that I realized that I actually had control whether it be of my body and the way that it looked or the way that I viewed my life and myself and I wasn't completely out of control my mind I can help control and contribute my mind it doesn't necessarily control me you know I think one thing that's real similar to you competing and going from the you know where you were prior to competing to the shift that you made to becoming a competitor even though you were worried about it was your change from going from personal training back into the corporate world Mm. I know that it's not something you've talked about heaps but it's also something that people are really interested in Mm. because just like competing is a bigger part of your is a big part of your pie and identity doing that and then also being a personal trainer posting about it posting about your clients that becomes a huge part of your identity in a social setting you know you're the personal trainer people just view you in that way but then obviously COVID all that kind of stuff changed your sort of outlook on that and then you decided to go into the corporate world is that something you want to speak to a little bit yeah sure so like I found and that's exactly it like I found going back so effectively after COVID, I decided to make a shift and go back into corporate. Um, 
and a number of reasons were behind that but I decided that that's something I wanted to do and I've been in corporate ever since which is what 2020 2020 yeah Yeah, you started maybe mid 2020 yeah yeah and that was a really interesting time and it's something that like I didn't speak about for a long time and it was mainly because I felt like I lost a huge part of my identity through that and it was something that like personal training and helping people and all that stuff had been such a large part of me and so moving back into corporate I definitely felt like I lost a huge part of my identity but in the process actually gained a piece of my pie as you say and I think that potentially has contributed to the fact of why um, like post-show and stuff it's it's given me a greater foundation because effectively like I've got so many different areas to lean on you know and it's like I'm no longer because bodybuilding and PT are hand in hand like they're so similar in terms of how they kind of lean on each other and um, so I really felt that was a difficult thing but I actually think it's helped make me more a more well-rounded person and given me more foundation to lean on. And I've really in, enjoyed like being back in corporate. I think I operate well under a corporate structure. I enjoy it. I, I'm a real like goals orientated person. So I enjoy having like things in place. And I don't know what the future necessarily holds as such. It's not to say that I'll like be there forever, but at this stage, like it's been it served a really great purpose in my life and I'm really enjoying it. It's funny how much it really works quite well with the, the gym lifestyle as well, because, you know, gymming's about your kind of, well, if you, you, you're not just having a splash approach and actually structuring your days, yeah, you know, that's kind of how a business environment works as well. You know, there are, you know, your designated meeting times, I'm working on this now, I'm doing this now. And yeah. It, it does actually kind of marry up with Very the gym much. lifestyle quite a lot, and doesn't like, it? And I've learned a lot through that because I, I was in corporate. So like I um, actually, I got my degree back into, th- oh, I finished in 2014. So I um, finished a commerce degree and then went into corporate and then went back to study and then did PT. So I'd been there already, came out of it and then coming back in, I've learned so much in that transition yeah. about myself. Um, like how I actually really operate really well on, on routine. Like I, I really love routine. Yeah. Um, and it does feed well into that bodybuilding because it's such a routine based sport and you really need to have like all your meals planned out and it actually feeds really well into each other because you can easily place timings on that whereas when you're you're when with pt it's obviously like a lot more all over the place in terms of your timings and that evolves and changes every day so you have to kind of just pivot and adapt all the time which has like its own advantages as well you have a lot more freedom to train at different times or whatever it might be i was having a lot more naps through the day (laughs) (laughs) can't really do that at work (laughs) yeah yeah totally but um but yeah well you can do that at work yeah yeah (laughs) maybe if i just at least my manager's listening in which case i would never do that (laughs) she seems like she's been in the toilet for a very long time (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah but yeah so it actually has been like um really positive for for routine and stuff but yeah as i say like I definitely don't know what the future holds as such, but it's definitely been like great at the moment. It's flowing the right way. Yeah. And that's all you really need to know. Yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah. And I think um, it's interesting how like, I do think things happen for a reason sometimes, like different things in your life. And like I last year, I've spoken about this on my Instagram and stuff, but I had a really hard time with my family. And so I had a lot of um, personal stuff going on with health concerns and things like that. And um, having a job to lean on and not a and not being self-employed 
was and just you know like having like going to work and just I don't know even like even with working it was easier to take to not have to like I love loved PT because you were always giving a piece of you to 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 everyone like it was always about that person and like you were always like every day was almost a counseling session a lot of the time you know you were always like giving to everyone and uh, last year I just had nothing to give I wouldn't have had anything to give and it would have been very hard and then running my own business on top of that would have been very very difficult too much so, yeah. yeah so that, I, that's quite a you know I'm not sure if you noticed what you just did there though but you recognized that it sounds like you recognized that straight away yeah you know yeah. you describing who you were sort of years ago when you journey first started that tool was perhaps missing yeah you know? very much whereas this time around you identified it straight away and went down the path you needed to to manage yeah. that that's right. And I, yeah, and I, I'm like forever grateful for that situation. And I think, yeah, I do believe things happen for a reason. And that happened, I changed, decided to change jobs, you know, quite relatively soon before that all sort of unfolded. So yeah. I really feel like it was really good timing and um, it really fed, it made that possible, I think, that process to go through because I was able to conserve energy to be able to help the, the, my, the people closest to me, I guess. Nice. Yeah. After you won nationals, mm. was it the following year you won your pro card, right? And then you want to go into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I won um, nationals and then um, Tony Doherty was actually at that show um, and he um, had spoken about the Arnold's Columbus, Ohio. Um, and so I was invited to go to that, um, which is yeah, obviously in Columbus, Ohio in the States. Um, and so so pre-COVID. Hey, yeah, pre- this is very pre COVID, <laughs> 2016. Yeah. So it was my first international show, and I decided that um, I really wanted to get my boobs done before then. So I wanted to get my um, have my boob job. So I actually had that done prior to that, which was like a journey in itself because I had a few months. So I literally came out of nationals and a precursor to this is that I've always wanted to get them done so it wasn't necessarily just done because of the show it just happened to bring it forward so yeah but yeah so I got them done before going to that show and that was like crazy because I obviously you can't train for a certain period of time and yeah there's quite a long downtime yeah yeah and I so it was a bit of an interesting like time because I only had a few months it was I think it was nationals might have been November before then and then um I was over for the show in March so it was only a few months between but the next week after nationals I was in for my surgery pretty much and then um yeah then I went to went to um America for the first time um it was a really quick turnaround and that show was really challenging in like a number of ways it was like I'd turned up a day before the show effectively had to adjust it was negative six degrees or negative two degrees or something over there. And how it was much really flight cold. time? Like 16, 17 hours yeah, or something? Yeah, I can't remember now, but yeah, it's obviously a long flight. And then um, jet lag was obviously the other side of that. So definitely a lot of learnings to be had in that situation, but it was 120% the worst I've ever looked. I don't think I've ever shared photos from that show. Like I, my like face, like I looked like an old lady when I was getting photos backstage. I could not get a nice selfie. I was so tired. You know, it was just a really interesting show. So a lot of learnings to be had and a lot of things I would have done differently. But um I so yeah, that was a hard like a hard thing for me to experience and bearing in mind at this point this is well before speaking to a psychologist or anything. So bodybuilding was a 
was my absolute everything. My pie was like 200% bodybuilding. So that was a really hard pill to swallow. And then especially coming off a win and then, um, and feeling like I'd let like people down, like obviously like representing New Zealand over there and stuff like that. But then coming back, I had a week before the pro-am in New Zealand and I definitely had managed to get rest. So I'd come, I pretty much flew straight back to New Zealand and um, Pro-Am being another New Zealand show that was effectively to, to be able to win your pro card. At that point, you could only win your pro card at pro shows. So it means professional and amateur. So you effectively have um, both in the show. So they usually have some sort of pro class on at that show alongside the amateur athletes that are doing their their shows as well. But um, I came back and I definitely managed to get some rest and looked better, um, but came second at that show. And so I didn't win my pro card. And so I was absolutely devastated to say the least like it was a very hard a hard time and on top of that my surgery hadn't gone very well and so um I actually needed to go back into surgery and get them remedied like get them fixed and get it changed so I had originally gone under the muscle I had to go over the muscle just with the way that my chest sat and my muscles sat it actually like just didn't look right so I had to get a second surgery following that and then, um, so it was a really rough time, like it was pretty hard and it was a hard pill to swallow, but um, I knew that I had, and, if it, and because I could only win my pro show, my pro card at um, a pro-am show, it meant that I had to wait another year yeah, before I could compete again, so there was no point in me doing the nationals as such, I might as well spend the time growing, um, so I took the rest of the year to, which allowed me to get over the surgery and that sort of stuff, and then but I definitely found that very, very difficult at that time. And I remember, like, I'm not much of a drinker. I don't really go out. But because I couldn't train after my second surgery, I remember I went out quite a few times and I like, got very, very drunk. Because <laughs> 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 it's just something that I don't really do. And, like, I learned very quickly that i definitely not something that <laughs> I want to do. do that. <laughs> yeah. Back still, into training I went. But, um, you're still hung over today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think there's like three weekends where I went out consecutively. At this point, I was still in corporate. So um, back when I'd gone into corporate after my um, degree. So, yeah, I went back into back into training and healed up and stuff like that. And that's when I started. I decided I wanted to change again. I wanted to change at that point and go into PT. So I went into 2016 and I went back to study to do um, my qualification for personal training. So I spent the rest of the year doing that. And then 2017 was when I won my pro card. So that's when I went into the Pro-Am and I won that show and won my pro card. And then I went into personal training. But 2017 was also later that year in November was my first pro show. And that was when Cam and I went over to the States and I did the Frigno Legacy. And yeah, so and then from there, 2018... We did another show. I had done the two shows. Two shows in yeah. the States. Yeah, so 2018, I did two shows, Sacramento Pro and one in LA. And then 2019, obviously, I did the New Zealand Pro. And then 2020 was obviously COVID. So during 2020, I had was um, going to the Arnold's. So I'd been invited to the Arnold's Australia. So I was fully, um, fully ready to go. I was a few days out from getting on the plane. And they cancelled the show and then... Because it was March 2020. It was March 2020, yeah. So they cancelled the show and I was literally... I think I was like a day out from getting on the plane. Yeah. And they cancelled the show and I was like, whoa. And at this point we had like no... It all happened so quick. And so we had no idea what was going on. And then by 
20 uh yeah then obviously we went into lockdown and stuff so but that year was insane though because you were meant to obviously go to your friend's wedding yeah yeah so i had the arnold's australia um which was in march and then i was going to go to the thailand yeah the thailand pro which was going to be in may or april april i think i can't remember now but i think it was april and then i was tying that and i was flying tying i was flying straight from thailand (laughs) to um to port uh, sorry to dubai to meet um my friend and then we were going to her wedding which was going to be in lisbon and all of us girls were going over for that so i was meeting the girls there spending the rest of the week in lisbon portugal and then flying back to new zealand um and obviously the world had very different plans and so that did not go ahead. But, but it kind of ties into you going into corporate, though. Obviously, we've spoken about this a lot. Although it was a really difficult year and you didn't get to do all those opportunities, if that didn't happen, you probably would have stayed personal training and still might be in it now and not have like made the transition into corporate, yeah, which is yeah. what has been so beneficial for you. Yeah, on, on like a number of number of levels. It was definitely the right thing to do and something that as a person has helped me grow even more Mm. and definitely place like a lot more as I say a foundation for me as a person like it's rounded me more Mm. um and so yeah I definitely and like I say it brings it back to the fact that I really believe things do happen for a reason but I think that largely comes from being able to reflect on the why and actually look back on things that happen and be like what was the benefit I gained from this what was the learning and like what was the hard thing and what can I learn or change about myself to allow that to improve in the future you know um, and I think that's what life's about really like shit happens like yeah. it happens and you've just got to like know understand like be able to reflect on that and like how, do you how you can the shit? yeah how do you yeah. manage the shit literally and what your like contribute contributor was to that like how mm. did you contribute to the shit like yeah. what how did you react how did you respond how can you improve and that's how you continue to develop as a person otherwise you stay the same person you if i stayed the same person i was as like as i was as a kid imagine where i've been now you know whereas like being able to reflect on all of those things and continue to shift and pivot and adapt and grow and accept where I was wrong and accept where like things happened to me that maybe shouldn't have or whatever it is. And accept that you maybe just going through a shitty time and it's not you specifically, you're just going through exactly. a exactly. shitty time. And growth happens from like the hardest times, but you have to be able to reflect on them. You can't just be like, well, crap's happening i'm just gonna sit in it yeah and then nothing nothing will change or escape from it yeah in some way you just have to go through it and and really reflect Mm. seems like a good place to wind up yeah yeah i think you know thank you so much for opening up you know Mm. i know that there will be a number of people that can relate to your journey and you know the the issues that you've had if there was one lasting thing that you wanted to to leave with those that uh, particularly those that might be in a real rough spot with those types yeah. of issues yeah definitely i think don't be afraid to seek help and to like really admit admit to the people that you feel comfortable with that you're going through a hard time you know like i think it's so easy when you're going through a really rough space to try and just wear it on your shoulders and be like no one will understand or like I don't want to be embarrassed I don't want my ego to be hurt or like people to think I'm weak or 
them to think there's something wrong with me. Or being a burden on people. Sometimes yeah. you won't open up because you don't want to be a burden that, yeah, on other exactly. people. Exactly. Like, I understand that like people actually get a lot of um, satisfaction from helping others. As like as like funny as that sounds, it's like almost selfish sometimes where you like I love helping others. Like I love helping other people. That's what I loved about personal training, like and coaching people. Like I get a lot of satisfaction from helping others. And so I understand that like you have to have the right people around you and you make sure you open up to the right people, but seeking help when you're at your lowest, because sometimes you can't even reach it. Like you can't even work through in your own mind that you actually do need to go see someone, see a psychologist. When it's been your reality for such a long period of time, it's hard to even know how like off you are or like what you need to do. But talking to people will help you one, hear it so that you understand where you're at, which sometimes rather than being in your head, helps when you can say it out loud but also get the right help that you need and have the right support and so that people know where you're at it's transparent and then you can find the right help but it comes down to the fact that if you are in a really rough spot do seek help from seeing a psychologist I think on and I've said this to you Cam but like I think seeing a psychologist even if you think you are completely grounded and level-headed and like don't have any issues if you can like understand your brain even better like how much better are you going to be as a person like no matter yeah. what level you're at like I just think a psychologist is just the best you see your whole body for a doctor and you'll go to a doctor and that's easy like you no problem but you've got this thing that's like your brain which literally controls everything within you and like seeing a psychologist I just think is like the most important thing you could do if you're struggling especially but for anyone I think it just helps you understand you even more and just makes you a better person at the end of the day. Yeah. There's nothing to be lost from it, but everything to gain. And at the very least, just start by talking to those around you. Yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah, 100%. Thanks so much, Chloe. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate no worries. It. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been really fun. A few weeks in the making, but we got there. Yeah, um, well, there's this thing going on. I don't know if you heard of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kind of hindered things a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's been going oh, on? A bit of a cold going, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for listening, and guys, we'll catch you at the next episode.